Here we are, 2022. Um, anybody make any New Year's resolutions? <laughs> That's a good one. I, uh, I'm not going to read anything. These are just for a layer of wisdom. You know, that would make me look smarter. Um, um, so I made a number of resolutions. I, I wrote them down. And, uh, you know, each time you make a resolution, just writing it down or saying it doesn't really change anything. You really have to do something to put that into practice. You have to maybe make a sacrifice somewhere. If you're going to, I'm going to stay away from the weight issue. That's always when somebody comes up with, I'm going to lose some weight. I don't want to talk about that. But, like, if you're going to be more well-read, you have to open a book. You have to, you have to do something, you know. So all those things are going to be like a sacrifice of, not, if nothing else, be a sacrifice of your time. Um, hopefully, if you made some, you're going to try to stick with them. Um, the reason I make some is I don't want to sit in the same place all the time. I want to try to get a little better at something. Um, but those sacrifices, that we, if we do make them, those sacrifices really aren't much of a sacrifice. I bet you're not going to be asked to give up your life a bunch of people you don't even know and that's the sacrifice Jesus made for us he he knows us but 2,000 years ago when he made that sacrifice I wasn't even a thought none of us were but he made a sacrifice that we can't we can't match and we don't need to match that we just need to make the effort to be as like him as we can and to give him our time and our our love and and try to mimic his lifestyle maybe and bring someone else to that knowledge. Um, my, my sacrifice is very small, but I don't want to forget about his. Uh, his. His sacrifice is huge, and each week when we come in here and we take this loaf and this cup, it's to remind us that he gave it all for us, and uh, let's not forget that. In, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I give you thanks for the the sacrifice that you made. The things we do seem so small, and the thing you did covers it all. Lord, I ask that you bless each one here that we don't forget, that we keep it in the front of our minds that you gave us a salvation that we can't get any other way. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the cups and uh, the drinks are over on the sides of uh, the building. Well, here we are, 2022, and this morning we are going to start 2022 by winding down. Now, before you say, hey, slow your roll, we just came into this new year, please don't rush me, I have 364 more days, uh, let me explain what I mean by this. We are winding down because we are back this morning in the book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 19. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, or you can follow us on the YouVersion app uh, under the events. And uh, yeah, we are back in the book of Acts. We took a month break. We left Paul alone for a little bit, and uh, now we are back in the book of Acts, and we are winding down. Uh, by the end of February, we will be through the book of Acts, and there's a lot to cover over the next couple of months in the book of Acts, a lot of things that take place. And so uh, we're back in 19, but before we go into 19, I think we should take a moment to look back at chapter 18, because it has been a while, and not only has it been a while, but Acts 18, you will find as we go through 19, has a lot of similarities. And so in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul has been ministering in Corinth. He is staying with a couple of uh, fellow tent makers, Priscilla and Aquila, and he's spending his uh, Sabbath days going into the synagogue and uh, reasoning, discussing uh, the gospel with the Jews and the Greeks in uh, the synagogue. And finally, we see Timothy and Silas come and join him there in Corinth. And because they've come and they've brought with them uh, financial gifts to help 
Paul, he is able now to focus fully on ministry, on doing what he has been called to do, which is going and sharing the gospel. And we see that when he goes into the synagogue in Corinth, there are Jews that don't want to hear what he has to say. They disagree with him, and they start problems for Paul. And so what does Paul do? He says, all right, I'm going to go to the house of uh, Titus Justice, and, and I'm going to minister there. And he goes, and we see that the synagogue leader and his family, they end up coming to faith in Jesus. And then we see, however, that the Jews are not going to let this go. And so uh, they decide, well, let's bring some charges against Paul. Let's bring some charges against this man, and we will uh, bring it to the proconsul. And so they do that, and they bring these uh, charges of, against Paul to the proconsul, and they say, hey, guess what? He is teaching us, uh, or he is teaching people things that don't match the law. Well, this proconsul is like, no, wait a second, whose law are you talking about? Are you talking about your law, or are you talking about the law of the Romans? And which one are you referring to? Because if you're referring to your law, which Scripture makes it seem like that's what he's doing, he's not going to hear it. That has nothing to do with them. The Jews can handle their own laws. But then we see, not only do they let Paul and his, uh, the people or his companions who are with him go, but the new synagogue leader gets beat up in front of the proconsul. So not only does his failed attempt to bring these charges uh, take place, but he also gets beat up. So not a good day for uh, the synagogue leader. We also see in 18 a man named Apollos. And we see that Apollos is a native of Alexandria. He comes to Ephesus. He's a learned man. He has thorough knowledge of the scriptures. But he has one flaw. All he knows is the baptism of John. He doesn't know what takes place afterwards. He doesn't know what happens next in the story. He doesn't know about Jesus and what Jesus came and, and what he taught and what he did. He was going off of an incomplete map. And we talked about that a little bit. If you have a map that's not complete, what's going to happen? You're going to get lost. You're going to get lost. You're not going to know where. If you only have a little teeny piece of map and you have to get from point A to point B and that's all you have, you're going to get lost because what happens after you hit that end part of the map you have? You're, you're in trouble. And that was the problem here with Apollos. He didn't have the whole picture, but Priscilla and Aquila explain to him what happens next and he ends up becoming a major asset for the believers in sharing the gospel. And so that's where we were in Acts chapter 18. And now in chapter 19, we are going to see this morning Paul fulfill a promise. You see, in 18, when him and Priscilla and Aquila are traveling, they stop in Ephesus, and the people ask, hey, can you stay in Ephesus for a while? And Paul says, no, I've got somewhere that I want to be. I want to go back home for a little bit. But if it's God's will, I will come back. And so this morning, he fulfills that promise. He comes back to Ephesus. And so this morning, we will see a lot of Ephesus, and so it, it's important to understand Ephesus a little bit, to know a little bit about the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was the fourth largest city of the Roman Empire. It was behind Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. So it's a, it's a big place, and it's an important place. Uh, one of the major features of the city of Ephesus was the Temple of Diane, which we will talk about a little bit more this morning. It was destroyed by fire on the day of Alexander the Great's birth, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an important place in the city of Ephesus. Around this time, there was around 300,000 people in Ephesus, and so a lot of people to uh, share the gospel with. And not only this, the gospel had become so prominent in Ephesus that on top of the four pillars of the major intersection in the city... They eventually placed statues of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is such an amazing thing as we read through 19. We see how big uh, worship was uh, for a false goddess, but by the end, we see that it became such a major place for the gospel that it would eventually we would see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have statues there. And so that's a little bit about Ephesus. And so, 
uh, we'll start this morning in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It says this, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were, or there were about 12 men in all. So the text just throws us right in here. He comes into Ephesus, Paul does, and there he finds disciples, and he asks them right away, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, if you just read this without reading 18, you think, okay, this is just a weird transition, and it is kind of a weird transition even if you read chapter 18. However, we see that this is going to be a link from 18 to 19. He meets these disciples who... Uh, really, it doesn't mean disciples as followers of Jesus because here we see that they don't even have the Holy Spirit yet. They don't know that there is a Holy Spirit. And I think what it means by that is they just didn't know that the Holy Spirit had come yet because throughout the Old Testament, we, we read about God's Spirit. They understood that there would be a Spirit of God, that there is a Spirit of God. I think what they're referring to here is that the, they did not know the Spirit had yet come. And so he asked, well, whose baptism have you received? John's, they replied. Well, John's baptism was a baptism, or baptism of repentance. It's, it's, there's a different baptism now. It's a, a more important baptism it's likely here that these disciples that he is talking to are people who were followers of Apollos. Before he had gotten the whole picture, he was teaching people what he knew, and he was teaching an, uncom or an incomplete picture. And so now these people that he taught has an incomplete picture. And so Paul explains to them what this baptism meant, but he also explains there was a, another baptism that was pointing uh, to one even greater, and that is in Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. And so he explains, and uh, they automatically, they just go and they get baptized in the name of Jesus. And then Paul places his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes, and they start prophesying and speaking in tongues. Now we see this parallels Acts 18, 24 and 20, or through 26 with the story of Apollos. Apollos knew scripture, but he didn't have the complete picture. These disciples here did not have the complete picture. We just talked about it. If you don't have the whole map in front of you, you're going to get lost. And you need that complete picture. And so Paul explains to them, this is what happens. This is why you need to know what happens next. And it, it, kind of the order here is a little bit different. Usually we see laying on of hands, receiving of the Holy Spirit, then baptism. Here, the order is flipped. It's baptism and then the laying on of hands and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter. It's done either way, flip-flop. The same results are there. And we see Paul do the same thing that Peter did in Acts 8, laying on of his hands to give them the Holy Spirit. And then the same thing here happens at Pentecost. They receive the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. So this little story here that connects us to Acts chapter 18. But the text continues here. It says that Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
And so after this interesting encounter with these people who did not know that the Holy Spirit had come, we see Paul go into the synagogue, and it's likely he was doing the same thing that he was doing in Corinth, spending his time on the Sabbath going in and uh, telling people about the gospel. He probably was still uh, doing his tent-making business to help support himself. And he goes in and he speaks boldly, to the people, and the same thing that we see happen in Acts chapter 18 happens here. Some of the Jews refused to believe and they became obstinate. Acts 18, 6 through 7, Paul has to move from the synagogue to the house of Titus Justice. Here he has to do the same thing. He takes it, or he says, okay, fine, and he takes the people who want to hear more or who are now believers, he takes them to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And we don't know really anything about Tyrannus. There's not much said on Tyrannus, but we know that he goes and he does this for two years, speaking to the people in this house. And it's said that when he would go and he would lead these things and he would teach at this house, it would be from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. The reason he would do it like this is because the hottest part of the day for the Romans was 11 to 4 and so it's likely that they, you know, they would go in and they would sit down. They didn't want to be in the heat. And so it's likely that Paul would work in the morning until about 11. And then he would go into this house. And from 11 to 4, he would teach the people. Right? Take advantage of what you've got. Right? Like he's, you know, hey, they're just going to be sitting in there anyway. They want to stay out of the heat. Might as well use it as an opportunity to share the gospel. And that's what he does. It says that he would go in there and this would go on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. He was taken opportunity, uh, or taking the opportunity and sharing the gospel, and because of this, people all, or so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived not only in the province of Asia, or in this area in Ephesus, but in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. You know, Robert mentioned earlier New Year's resolutions, right? Like making these goals for the new year and, and uh, you know, what the goals we make. There's a lot of different goals we make. Well, one of the things we talked about last week was remembering. We talked about remembering uh, at the end of the year what God has done for us throughout the year. Well, this morning, I want to give you some things to remember. And these are things to remember as we move forward this year. And the first thing, and these all come from here, and I think these are things that Paul would have us remember. And the first thing is this. Remember, keep working. Keep working. This year, make it a goal to remember to keep working. Now, what I mean by keep working is don't just try to work all the overtime you can at your job. I don't mean that. If you want to, go for it. Get, get that overtime. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying here is, notice this, Paul doesn't stop preaching the gospel. Paul doesn't stop preaching the gospel. He keeps working at what God has called him to do, even when some of the people did not want to hear what he had to say. And, you know, he goes into the synagogue. Some of the Jews were obstinate. They were talking bad about the believers. And, and you know, they say the way. The way is the, uh, the body of believers. They don't want to hear what he has to say. So what does he do? He says, all right. He goes to this house of Tyrannus, and what does he do? He keeps preaching the gospel for anybody who wants to come and hear. He keeps working. He keeps doing what God has called him to do. And that's not just Paul. This is something that the apostles did. Acts 4.20, if you recall in Acts 4.20, we see the Jews telling Peter, hey, quit preaching the gospel. Quit telling people what you're telling them about Jesus. And, and this is what Peter says, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is something the apostles did. They did not stop telling people about what they have seen and heard. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 16 and 17, Paul says these words, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. Woe to me if I stop preaching the gospel. I cannot stop preaching the gospel. I am compelled to preach the gospel. You see, this is a lesson that we need to take to heart because there are going to be people 
who do not want to hear what you have to say. And they may not believe what you have to say, but that does not mean you stop trying to share the gospel. This doesn't mean that you stop trying to tell people what God has done in your life. Do not stop doing what God has called you to do because there are people who need to hear the gospel. And here's the, here's the deal. If you try and you try and you try and you try and you tell people and they just don't want to hear what you have to say or they become you know, resentful toward you or they, they tell you, hey, listen, I don't care what you're saying. I don't care about this gospel. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Just stop telling me about this. It's okay to move on. It's okay to move on to somebody who wants to hear what you have to say, who wants to hear the gospel and what God has done in your life. We continue to pray for those people, and we continue to love on those people, but it's okay to move on, and it's okay to take the gospel somewhere else. It is not okay to just stop trying to share the gospel, and that's not what Paul would do. Paul continued to keep, he kept on working. He continued to keep working. And we need to do the same thing this year. Continue to share the gospel. Continue to tell people what God has done for you. And so we move on now in the text to verse 11. And verse 11 starts like this. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, some Jews who, there were some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So here we see that God is doing amazing, extraordinary miracles through Paul. So much, in fact, that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that have touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Sound kind of, sounds kind of reminiscent, right? People just trying to touch the robe of Jesus, hoping to be healed. And we see God giving Paul the ability to do these extraordinary miracles. And then we read about these Jews who went around, they were trying to drive out evil spirits, and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would have to say things like this, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. They couldn't say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. No, they, didn't believe, they weren't followers of Jesus, but they saw, hey, this Paul guy is using the name of Jesus, and so we have to use the name of Jesus, but since we don't believe in him, instead of saying, in the name of Jesus, they have to say, in the name of this Jesus whom Paul is preaching. They have really no right to be doing what they are doing, but they're going to try. And we see that these are seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest. And this guy is pretty interesting because there's no records in ancient, or there's no records found in any ancient record of this chief priest named Sceva. So uh, maybe he just... There's no reason really to talk about him. Or maybe uh, he was a Jewish exorcist at some point. Not really anything is known about this man, except for his seven sons who try to go and drive out demons in the name of this Jesus whom Paul preaches. And this is not a good idea. Because what we see here is one day this evil spirit answers them and says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And the verbs here are interesting. The verbs for Jesus I know in the Greek, it means to know by interaction and experience. 
These demons have experienced Jesus before. They know who this man is. They know he is the Son of God. They have dealt with him in the past. They have interacted with him, and they have experienced him. Then they say, and we know about Paul. The verbs here in the Greek for to, I know about, it means to know about and to understand. They understand who Paul is. They understand that he is a servant of God. They understand that he has the ability to drive out demons and do miracles. They understand who he is. We know who these people are, but who in the world are you? And we see that the man who had the evil spirit, he jumps on them and overpowers them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That is quite the beating. That is, they got the snot kicked out of them, and even more so. You know, that is a serious beating to leave running out of the house naked and bleeding. Like, they, they embarrass these, these seven guys. And here is what is so amazing about this. In verse 17... It says this, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came into 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. And after I had been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So why this is so amazing is God takes this horrible thing that's happened and he uses it for his good. He uses it for his good. And the name of Jesus now becomes a name that is held in high honor. People hear about what this demon said. People hear about what this demon did. And because of this bad situation, God takes it and he twists it and he turns it into good. Because of this, people now start to take the name of Jesus seriously. And it says that many of those who believed now and came and openly confessed what they had done. They had believed, but they hadn't really confessed what it was they've done. They're coming now and just openly, hey, I've done this. I've done these things. Like, we're not messing around now with the name of Jesus. Jesus is a powerful name. And not only these believers come, but a number who had practiced sorcery brought their own scrolls together. They brought all their scrolls together, and they burned them publicly. And these scrolls were expensive. The value of these scrolls came out to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma was a silver coin. It was worth a day's wages. That's a lot of money. And these people, they just take all these scrolls and they burn them and they're like, forget about this. I am not going to do this anymore. You see, Ephesus was known for sorcery. They were known for their sorcerers. There were sorcerers all over the place in Ephesus. And this whole event, God takes it and he uses it for his good. And they are like, oh, no, thank you. I don't want to have anything to do with sorcery now. No. And it says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This amazing thing happens out of this bad situation. And we see here that at the end, verse 21 and 22, uh, Paul talks a little about his roadmap for where he wants to go next and what he's going to do next. But here's the second thing I think that we need to remember from this, and it's this. Remember the power of God. Remember the power of God. This year, remember how powerful God is. God is powerful. We do not serve a weak God. We serve a powerful God. A powerful God. If you need examples of this, let's look at His Son. In John chapter 2, verses 1-11, through 11, Jesus changes water into wine. Pretty amazing thing, Right? How about this? John chapter 4, 46 through 47. Jesus cures the nobleman's son. Doesn't even have to go. Your son is cured. How about this? Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. A haul of fish so big that the nets break. Some of you who go fishing a lot, you, I mean, have you seen anything like that? A haul of fish so big that the nets can't contain all of the fish? It's a, it's a miracle. 
Mark chapter 1, 30 through 31, Jesus cures Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And these are just a handful of things that Jesus did. Over and over and over and over and over again, we see in the Gospels Jesus do amazing and powerful things. And if you want a few more, how about this? God created the entire world, everything in it, everything living, everything breathing, every plant, every animal, everything has been created by God. He also parted the Red Sea. That's pretty impressive, He brought down all of his enemies, and most importantly, he raised his son from the dead. Displays of power over and over and over again. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God is powerful. God is powerful, and you serve a God who is full of power and might. He is not a weak God. He is a powerful and big God. And so the question that you have to ask yourself, and if God is so big and so powerful, why do we spend so much of our lives believing that He is not big enough and not powerful enough to help us through our situations? The things that we think that God cannot possibly handle in our lives, the things that we think God cannot possibly move us out of in our lives, God is big enough to do all these things. He's big enough to work in your life as well. Remember the power of God. And so now we come to the conclusion of Acts chapter 19. One more final story that takes place in Acts chapter 19. And this ties directly into where we just came out of in verse 22 because this is going to cause problems. All of these things that have happened are now going to cause problems for some of the people who live in Ephesus. You see, there were people who were making profit off of false gods. There were people who were making uh, profits off of Artemis, also known as Diane, the goddess that they worshipped. And we see here in verse 23 and following, it says, About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and basically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty." And so Demetrius, he, come, he gets these people together, this, this guild, this, these craftsmen, and he tells them, hey, here's a problem. Uh, you know, our livelihood now is going to be in jeopardy because of what this Paul guy is preaching and how he's persuading people to no longer follow these false gods but to follow the, the true God. It's, he says it here that he is uh, leading them astray, but we know lead astray means that he is pointing them to the gospel and they are turning from false gods. But they're, they're going to lose money off of this. They're going to lose money off this because Demetrius produced silver shrines of Artemis. And what this means is that he would take silver and he would make replicas of the temple. He would look at the temple, he'd make replicas of the temple out of silver, and he would sell them to people, and people would buy these. And when they went in to worship in the temple, they would sacrifice these many, uh, these many replicas of the temple that they are in worshiping. And so he would make good money off this. The other people were making good money off of this. And so he says, hey, this guy is a problem because we are going to lose money. And don't be deceived. It has nothing to do with Artemis and, oh, they're going to blaspheme Artemis or whatever. It's all about money. It's all about money. They don't want to lose money. 
And he's right. He says that he's been saying that uh, gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Paul has said stuff about false gods. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 4 through 6, it says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no god but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And so there's a lesson to be learned here, a little lesson to be learned here. Sometimes the message of God is going to go against the business and lifestyle of people. Be warned, I'm telling you that right now. Sometimes the message that you proclaim is going to go in the face of those who want to make money. We've heard it said before, right? Like you, you speak with your money when it comes to stores. If you don't like what a store represents or what a store believes, you speak with your money. You don't shop there anymore, right? And, and that's the thing. When you stand up for what is good, when you stand up for what is right, when you stand up for what is scriptural, sometimes that is going to fly in the business and lifestyle of people. When you do the right thing, sometimes that is going to cause people to be displeased because what you're doing goes against their livelihood. And I've heard story after story after story after story, of, and a lot of these were in accounting classes I've taken, of people who have been like, hey, just you know, change the numbers so that we come out better and we make more money. And people say no, and what do they do? They lose their jobs. I'm not going to do what's wrong, and they lose their jobs. They lose their livelihood. I'm sure Terry could probably tell you stories as well that she's heard of the same thing, dealing with accounting. So know that sometimes the truth you represent, the scriptures that you speak, can sometimes fly in the face of those who want to make money. And when you stand up for what is true and what is right, sometimes that is going to cost you. But we'll talk more about that here in just a second. So we see here now that this is going to cause a disturbance. Verse 28, it says, When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized uh, Gaius and Aristocrats and people, or Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him to venture or not to venture into the theater. So we see here uh, the people go into an uproar, and now uh, a great disturbance is caused, and the whole city is, is just going crazy. And so they want Paul, but they can't find Paul, so they grab his uh, traveling companions, and all of them are rushed into the theater. And this is what's so amazing. Paul wanted to go out there and give a defense. Paul wanted to go out there and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm telling you guys. Paul wanted to go out there and do this, but they urged him not to because it was a dangerous situation. But you've got to admire Paul. This is an opportunity for him to preach. And everybody, if everybody in the city, they're all there. And this is an opportunity for him. And he's like, let me go. Let me go and preach. Let me go and proclaim to them what God has done. But they say, no, it's too dangerous to do that. Then we see in verse 32, it says, The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. There's a lot of interesting things that take place in just these couple of verses. First of all, the assembly was in confusion. Everybody was yelling different things, and everybody was confused and had no idea what was going on. Says most of the people did not even know why they were there. This is just unruly mob mentality, right? Like, everybody's mobbing, and so we're there, and we have no clue why we're even here. We're just all yelling and mad together, and we have no idea why. 
I love this. They're all just there, have no clue why they're even there. I think Luke threw this in just to make fun of them a little bit. Like, they didn't even know why they were here. And it says that the Jews in the crowd, they push Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence to make a defense before the people. What this is, is the Jews pushing Alexander to the front, yelling out instructions to them, so that he could tell them, hey, let them know that this has nothing to do with us. This is all about what Paul is saying. We're innocent. We're just bystanders. Please don't do anything to the Jews. We have nothing to do with this. Well, this plan backfires because when they realized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours they stand there and just shout the same thing, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This whole thing is just a weird mess of you've got the Jews trying to yell, hey, this has nothing to do with us. There's people out here who have no idea what's going on and, and they're just shouting and yelling and there are the people who actually were shouting for this false goddess. Interesting stuff here. And so what happens next? Verse 35, we see, well, real quick, before we go into verse 35, real quick, want to say this, this mob mentality here, all this stuff happening. What's so interesting, Benjamin Franklin once said this about a mob. He said, a, monster, a mob is a monster with heads enough but no brains. And that's what they're doing. They're just all yelling and shouting. I'm sorry, I had to put that in there because I love that quote. But anyway, now verse 35 says, The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, don't, or doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges if there is anything further you want to bring up. It must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. The city clerk steps in and saves the day. He calms the people down and he says, hey, listen, these people have not blasphemed our false goddess. They have not said anything against this goddess. They haven't said anything with her name particularly and they haven't stolen anything from any of the temples. So really, we have no reason to be doing what we are doing today. And a matter of fact, what's even worse is if we don't stop... If we don't stop, we are going to be charged with rioting and we cannot give an account for this because nobody has any idea why we are even here. This is amazing. They, there's nothing like going on that's wrong. And so this whole giant thing could get them in trouble with Rome. Rome could see all of this and say, what is going on? Why can't you control your people? And this could cause problems. And it's all because nothing has even happened that is worth all of this. And he tells him, hey, if you have any problems with these men, take it to the courts. Don't take it out here in front of everybody and cause problems. Paul is saved here, and the people are saved here, by a city clerk. This is two chapters in a row where we see some kind of uh, public official save the believers. In Acts 18, 14 through 17, the story with the proconsul. They're saved by this uh, authority in uh, the city in which they're in. And so here's the last thing that I want to mention that I think we need to remember from this passage, and it's this. Remember, God's got this. God's got this. You see, it seems like when Paul has been in trouble, God has come through for him. When the apostles have been in trouble, God has come through for them. And sometimes following Christ is going to be difficult, and it is going to feel like there are people all around you rising up against you, standing up against you, trying to bring you down. Remember, God's got this. Stay strong and lean on God. 
In the call of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, 17 through 19, God tells Jeremiah this, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. That is a scary thought, is it not? Or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but you, or they will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. God's got this. Are we leaning on God during difficult times, during hard times, and it feels like everybody is rallying against us? Are we staying strong? Are we leaning on God? If you want another example of how God's got this, Paul is a Roman citizen. Let's remember this, and this is important. He is a Roman citizen who is preaching the gospel, and because he's a Roman citizen, and we'll see this even more as he goes to trial several times, uh, he is a Roman citizen, and his Roman citizenship actually saves him a lot of times from certain death. Because of his uh, background, he is able to get extra things that other apostles wouldn't because he is a Roman citizen. God's got this. And when it feels like the world is coming against us and people are rallying against us. Remember, God has got this. God has our back. If we believe in Him, if we give our lives to Him, God's got this. Now, I want to say one other thing about this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, does God have this? Because Paul dies a death of martyrdom. Peter dies a death of martyrdom. All the apostles except John die a death of martyrdom, and that wasn't for lack of trying. They all die deaths of martyrdom. Does God actually have this? And I say, yes, God has this, because here's the deal with Paul. Paul makes this very clear. He wants to be with Jesus. He makes it very clear over and over again. I want to be with Jesus, but until that day, I press on and I do what God has called me to do. But know this, I want to be with Jesus. So even when Paul takes his last breath and he knows that he is about to die. He knows that God's got this because even if it doesn't go according to plan right now on this earth, God's got this because he has a reward waiting for him in heaven. He is destined for something greater than where he is at. God's got this. And here's the thing. Sometimes when we say God's got this, it's not always going to mean God is going to get this in the way that you want that to be done. Sometimes it is going to be difficult. Sometimes you're going to lose a job, maybe. Sometimes you're going to lose family, maybe, because of what you believe, because of what you teach, what you preach, what you proclaim. That doesn't mean that God doesn't got this. You see, if we believe in Him, if we put our faith in Him, if we put our trust in Him, no matter what happens, we know that we have a greater reward than what we have here. And sometimes... It is an issue of God will keep us safe. God will protect us. God will allow us to do what we want to do unharmed. Sometimes that may not be the case. When you look around the world, there are people who have lost loved ones because of their faith. There are places where they've lost their life because of their faith, but they know that there is a greater reward for them in heaven. God's got this. You see, here's the thing. I admire Paul a lot. You know, I, you know, I try not to play favorites with Scripture, but, you know, outside of the Trinity, I think there's nobody that I look up to more than Paul. I, I love Paul, and the reason I, I am, admire Paul so much is because this was a guy who, no matter what was happening in his life, he kept wanting to push, he kept wanting to work, he kept wanting to do what God called him to do. That was his desire to keep, until he saw Jesus face to face, his desire was to keep doing what God has asked him to do, and that was to preach and to teach and to tell people what God has done in his life. And you see, this should be the same desire that we have. And why should this be the same desire we have? Because people need Jesus. People need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the good news. They need to hear the story of how God loved us so much that He sent His Son for us. People need to know about Jesus, and it's your job to do it. It's my job, it's Cody's job, it's the elders' jobs, it's Nora's job, it's, uh, it's our jobs, but it's your job too. 
Every single one of us in this room has the job, the task, the obligation to share with people the good news. Matthew 28, 19, this great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that is our task. Luke 10, 2, he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask that the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. God sent his son for us. From conversion on, Paul spent time telling people what God had done for him, what he has done for him, what he continues to do for him, how he came into his life. Paul called himself the worst of the worst of all the sinners. I am the worst of the worst. One of the greatest missionaries who ever lived, somebody I admire so much, made the comment, of all the sinners in the world, I am the worst of the worst. But I tell you this to show you what grace God has bestowed upon me. That is what Paul tells us. And that should be the same thing that drives us and motivates us, what God has done for us. And I know it's cliche to read it because we hear it over and over again, but it's not cliche because it's the gospel in one verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel in one verse. And that should be the thing that drives us, what God has done for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do... Know this, if you've given your life to him, God has got this. God has got this. And, and even if he doesn't handle things the way you want him to or the way you expect him to, God has got this. So, know, so do this. Knowing that God's got this, keep working. Keep working. Keep telling people the good news. Keep telling people what God has done for you. Keep telling people what that cross represents to you and what that cross means to you and what that empty grave represents and what that empty grave means to you. Tell people what God has done. Keep working. And take solace in knowing this, that the God you are serving when you tell people about what He has done, the God you are serving, He is a powerful, powerful God. He is not a weak God. He is not a distant God. He is a God who is here with us, and He is a God who is big enough and powerful enough to help us through everything we go through. And so maybe this morning, you need to just spend some time reconnecting with God, this powerful God. I pray that you would do so. And maybe this morning you can't proclaim what you don't have. And maybe this morning you need to give your life to Christ. If that's the case, I pray that you would do so. There's connect cards around you. If you have a decision to make, you can fill it out on there. We'd love to talk with you. But remember this. Keep working. Keep telling people the good news. Remember that God is powerful. And remember that God's got this. If you have a decision to make this morning, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.